Well, good morning again in Counter Church. Thank you. Uh, so good to be with you today. So thankful that we have the opportunity to gather in worship together. As we dive in, I want to give a quick welcome to all of those who are joining us online. And I want to give a shout out to our Fulton Heights location that's joining us today. So thankful that you guys are tuning in with us as well. So excited. Uh, to be here. Uh, again, as Robin shared, my name is Kyle. I have the privilege to serve as the youth director. Uh, but from time to time, I get to share God's word in settings like this. And I'm excited to share it with you this morning. And I hope and I pray that it's a source of encouragement for you, whether you've been following Jesus for a long, long time, uh, or you're kind of just new around here, checking this whole thing out, asking some big questions, wondering if Jesus is worth submitting your life to. And if that's you here in the room or watching, Watching. Man, I'm super excited that you're here because I wasn't always a follower of Jesus. Uh, in fact, it was in college where my faith really started to take root. When I was in college, I joined a small group Bible study. And in that small group Bible study, I was with another group of guys and we uh, read scripture together. We prayed together. We held each other accountable. And it was in those moments where my faith took root. And soon, they weren't just my Bible study friends. They became my friends that I did everyday life with. And uh, one day, so I was hanging out at my friend's house. We're chilling there with him and his family. And uh, we decided to go to the mall. And so we hopped in the van. Uh, it's me, my friend, his, some of his siblings, and his mom. We're on our way to the mall, and we pull up to a red light, and we notice off to our left, there's a guy with a sign asking for help. Now, we've all seen this before, um, but this was the first time I experienced this with other Christians in the car. And so I was curious as to how this was all going to play out, right? Were we going to roll down the window, hand him some money and say, hey, God bless you? Uh, were we going to go to the nearest store, grab some food, swing by and offer it to him? Uh, I was curious to see how this was going to go down. And any of those would have been great options, right? But I'll never forget what I experienced that day. As we pull up to the light, we see him off to the side. Again, he's holding a sign, asking for support. The mom in the car no exaggeration, she says, ha, look at this guy. I'm not giving you my money. Get a job, buddy. I was like, wow. I'm a brand new Christian. Like, I, I didn't have a faith walk. I had a faith crawl because my faith was still in diapers. And I'm thinking to myself at this point, if this is what God's love is like, I want nothing to do with him. In fact, I have been in that situation several of times before with people who are not followers of Jesus, and they responded way more generously. So if this is who God is, if this is how Christians behave, if this is what God's love is like, I'm out and I want nothing to do with him. You know, I'm guessing that I'm not the only one who has experienced something like this. Maybe you've experienced something like it before. Uh, maybe you were outside in a line at a concert waiting to get in, and you see a guy standing on a box holding a megaphone telling you that you are going to hell. Or maybe you've been on social media and you see Christians uh, arguing, and they're not having a peaceful disagreement. No, they're ripping each other to shreds. They're calling each other names. They're tearing one another down. And you're thinking, and you want me to go to your church? My, my, my guess is that we've all experienced or we've seen inaccurate expressions of God's love. But maybe for some of us in the room and listening, maybe you haven't just witnessed it. Uh, maybe you've experienced it firsthand for yourself. Uh, 
Let me tell you about my friend Sarah. Change her name, but this is her story. Uh, Sarah in high school, uh, all of her friends were crushing on the same guy. And uh, this is the guy that she wrote about in her journal. And one day, this boy asks Sarah to be his girlfriend. It's the best day for Sarah. All her friends are mad jealous. She's in love. And you know the story. First comes love, then comes marriage, then comes baby in a baby carriage. Listen, there's a reason why I preach and don't sing, okay? (laughs) But they were in love. And they hoped marriage was in their future. But after crossing a few lines that they didn't intend to cross, there's now a positive pregnancy test on the bathroom counter. And she's in high school. And she has no idea in the world what she's going to do. Uh, Church leaders catch wind of this and they invite Sarah to meet with her. She goes to the church and she has no idea what they're going to say. She's hopeful that they will encourage her and offer support. But when she walks into the office, she finds that they already have a plan in place to send her away for nine months so that her sin doesn't enter their church. I have another friend. Let's call him Ben. Ben has faced anxiety and depression ever since he can remember. And over the past few months, it hasn't gotten better. It's gotten worse, man. It seems like no matter how what he does, how hard he tries, it's just not getting better. And he was in a conversation recently with a Christian who basically said this, well, if you just pray more, if you just love Jesus better, it'll go away. He doesn't walk away encouraged. He walks away feeling misunderstood and judged. And as he's fighting tears, he's asking, is this what God's love is like? Whether we've witnessed an inaccurate expression or God's love, or if we've experienced it for ourselves today, we don't have to wonder anymore what God's love is like, because today we get to experience it for ourselves. Uh, This morning, we're going to continue our current message series titled, To Be Continued. We're taking a look at the New Testament book of Acts. And uh, last week, we saw how the Apostle Peter, now empowered by the Holy Spirit, gets up and preaches a message in Jerusalem. And as a result of that message, over 3,000 people uh, respond and are welcomed into the family of God. That's a pretty good day of ministry. Amen? I call that a good day. Um, And as we launch out from chapter 2 in the book of Acts, what we see is the church, which is the people of God empowered by the Spirit of God pursuing the mission of God to take this gospel message to the, the corners, to the ends of the earth. And as they're on their way to the ends of the earth, uh, we reach chapter 10, Acts chapter 10. And that's where we're going to be hanging out this morning. And uh, the good news is that we're going to spend a lot of time in our Bibles this morning. So you're definitely going to get your Bible reading in. So if you have your Bibles, go ahead, turn with me. Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. And uh, as we get ready to set up the story, um, here's what's happening. Uh, God has asked Peter to take the gospel to Caesarea, uh, which is about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem, uh, to take it to a place and to a family who, quite honestly, Peter didn't expect God to send him there. He didn't think God would ask him to go there. In fact, Peter, at this point, he's seen the resurrected Jesus. uh, And at this point, he's probably willing to die for his faith. But when God gives him this assignment, he's basically like, God, you want me to go where? 
Let's find out why. Because in Caesarea, there's a guy named Cornelius, and we learn that he's a centurion in the Italian regiment, which means he's not a Jew. Uh, But Luke, the author of Acts, he tells us that he's a good dude. Uh, He prays, he gives money to the poor, he's a good family guy. And one day while he is praying, God comes to Cornelius and says, hey, I want you to send for Peter. He doesn't tell him why, he just says, go and find Peter. And so Cornelius, he sends men to find Peter, and as they are uh, arriving to where Peter is at, this is what Luke tells us in Acts chapter 10, starting in verse 9. It says this, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Verse 11, he saw heaven opened up. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to the earth by its four corners. You know, if I'm Peter right now, I am sketched out at what's happening. Why? God, I've seen the movies. I know what happens when a sheet is laid down. I know what happens to the guy standing where I'm standing when a guy lays down a sheet in the movie. But verse 12, it continues. It says, uh, it contained all kinds of four-footed animals. Peter's like, okay, God, I I see what you're doing. This isn't a movie. Uh, You know that I'm hungry. You're providing lunch. Thanks, God. I appreciate that. What do we got on this sheet? We've got a cow. Mm, I love some steak. Medium, please. Uh, what else we got on there? We got bacon. God, you know I can't have bacon. Why, why would you do that? That is cruel and unusual. God, that's not nice. What else we got? We've got birds and reptiles. Verse 13, then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Peter's like, okay, I know what's happening here. You're trying to trick me. That's a fast one, God. Not going to fall for it. Verse 14, surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. Listen, I don't understand how someone can put bacon in front of you three times. You're like, no, I'm good. I'm good. There's a lot of things in the Bible I don't understand. That is at the top of the list, right? But all joking aside, this seems like a strange vision, doesn't it? This seems weird. Why, Why is this happening? Why does Luke record this in the book of Acts? Luke records this because what God is communicating to Peter in this moment is so, so crucial that if we want to understand what happens in the rest of chapter 10, we have to understand what's happening here. You see, way back in the Old Testament, um, God established his covenant relationship with Israel. And when he did that, he gave them very specific food laws. Uh, You can go read about it, Leviticus chapter 11. It's a riveting chapter. If you need help falling asleep, go read Leviticus chapter 11. It will put you to sleep, guaranteed. Um, But anyway, in that chapter, God gives Israel food laws, right? He says some foods are clean And you can eat those while some foods are unclean and you've got to stay away from those. Now, this may sound weird, but what God was trying to do, here's the the purpose in that. God was trying to set apart Israel from the rest of the world so that he could bless them, he could pour his favor out on them so that they could be a blessing 
to the nations, to the people around them, so that they might look and see and know and understand and, and follow their God. And, and God knew that if he was going to set them apart, he had to do certain things so that they didn't live like the rest of the world. And so modifying their diet was one of the ways that God sets them apart. Excuse me. But Peter, can't you just cheat once? I mean, it's bacon. Come on, man. Can't you just cheat once? Can't you be like me and diet starts Monday? You probably said that too, right? But for the strictest Jews, and, and maybe for Peter, hear this. They would rather choose death than eat something unclean. Why? Because it wasn't just a food law. It was, it was part of their Jewish identity. And they took their Jewish identity so, so seriously. That's why Peter says, again, he says, Surely not, Lord. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. Peter has never cheated on his diet. God responds, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This is interesting. And if you're tracking with me on this whole food law thing, you might be asking a really important question at this point in the story. You might be wondering, how does God declare in Leviticus chapter 11 a food unclean, but then seemingly in Acts chapter 10 say that it's clean and he can eat it? Like, can God just change his mind whenever he wants? And if God changed his mind about the food laws, what else can he change his mind on? Like, if I mess up tomorrow, can God just change his mind on how he loves me? Can he change his mind on how he saved me? Like, I don't like where this is going. It's a fair question. All right, can we, like, Bible geek out for just a moment? Can we do that? Is that okay? Uh, I paid a lot of money for this in Bible college and seminary. I'm going to give it to you for free, okay? So let's Bible geek out for just a moment. In biblical theology, we have what we call uh, theology proper and contextual theology, okay? Now, when I say theology, we mean the ways that we uh, seek to understand God, the ways that we interact with God, the way that we understand him and experience him. So theology is not God. It's just the way we experience him and think about him. So we have theology proper, and we have contextual theology. In theology proper, it's theology that's set in stone, it's theology that never changes. It's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. That's theology proper. On the other hand, contextual theology, that's theology that's given at a certain time, at a certain place, for a specific group of people. It's contextual. Now, you might ask the question, well, Kyle, how do we know which one it is? Is it proper or contextual? The answer, and you may have heard this phrase, is we find out when we let Scripture interpret Scripture. So here's, here's an example of this. So in Genesis chapter 1, we see that God is what? He is our creator. He creates everything, and he calls it good, and he's, he's the creator. And that title of God, that identity of God, is uh, reaffirmed and repeated throughout the entire Bible, even into the book of Revelation. So God is our creator. That's theology proper. It's set in stone, never going to change. It's the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is our creator. Now, on the other hand, contextual, we have food laws. Again, they're given to the Jewish people at a certain time, in a certain place, for a specific reason. Now, how do we know this for sure? Again, we let Scripture interpret Scripture. What does Jesus say? Check it out. 
in Mark chapter 7. He says, don't you see that nothing that enters a person from the outside can defile them? For it doesn't go into their heart, but into their stomach and then out the body. And then Mark gives us his commentary. He says, in saying this, Jesus declared all foods clean. So as Peter is on the roof and he's praying, God comes to him and says, Peter, I'm doing something new. And, and I might go against your tradition and your culture and your laws, but I need you to trust me on this. I'm doing something new, and I'm going to get the glory from this. Don't call anything impure that God has made clean. So here's what happens next. The men that Cornelius send, they find Peter, and they bring Peter back, and some of his friends come back uh, with Peter to Cornelius and his family. Uh, we're going to pick up the story in verse 24. The following day, he arrives at Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I am only a man myself. While talking with him, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, this is important, take note of this. He said to them, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. It's against our law, Cornelius. I'm not supposed to be here. Uh, for those of you who might be newer to scripture, um, the whole Jew-Gentile relationship, uh, Jews obviously are a group of people who share an ethnic identity. Uh, the Gentiles, they're everyone else, right? So you are either a Jew or a Gentile. Um, so to illustrate what this relationship is like, uh, last Saturday, uh, my wife and I went to a very competitive football game. Uh, we went to the Michigan and Michigan State football game that was in East Tennessee. Like, I don't know why you're laughing. Warm-ups was very competitive. <laughs> and uh, so we, we get there, and uh, we have on our maize and blue, right? Because we like to win. So we have on our maize and blue. When we get there in East Lansing, like there's green and white everywhere. My mom's a Michigan State fan. She's booing me in church. This is great. Um, so we have on our maize and blue. And there's green and white everywhere. Like people have on green and white clothes. They have, the, like their tents are green and white. Their plates and napkins are green and white. Their faces are painted green and white. And even some probably college freshmen who didn't check the weather app, their bodies are painted green and white. They go hard to lose by 49 points, y'all. So as we get there, and we've got on our maize and blue, and we see this sea of green and white, you know instantly who your friends are, and you know who your enemies are. There is no in between. It's crystal clear who your friends are and who your enemies are. For Peter, he's a Jew. The Gentiles, they are not his friends. They are his enemies. In fact, in some Jewish circles, the Gentiles were considered to be the enemies of God. 
In their Jewish law, they allowed for some business transactions between Jews and Gentiles. That's basically so that they had means for survival. And even if they did that, they got in trouble. But it was strictly forbidden for Jews to enter into the home of a Gentile. It was forbidden to receive hospitality from them. And the world would surely end if you ate with them at their dinner table. And Peter understands this. It is ingrained in Peter's Jewish identity. Again, that's why he says, you are well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. Hear me. That's why God gives Peter the vision from earlier to say, I can call all foods pure. I'm I'm doing a new thing, Peter, and I'm going to get the glory from this. Peter, there's going, to be, there's going to be some Gentiles who are going to come and get you. Don't hesitate. Go with them. Will you trust me? Because hear me, if Peter didn't have this vision from earlier, there is no way he goes with the Gentiles. There's no way he risks his reputation. There's no way he risks even his life to go with them and enter into their house. Not a chance. That's why God gives him the vision. Again, or let's read verse 28. He said to them one more time, you are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile, but God, (laughs) but God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? In the next verses, Cornelius is going to tell Peter about his dream and how God asked him to send for Peter. So jump down to verse 33. This is Cornelius speaking. He says, So I sent for you immediately, and it was good of you to come. Now, We are all here in the presence of God to listen to everything the Lord has commanded you to tell us. Y'all, I can't even imagine how nervous Peter is in this moment, right? You've heard it said that sometimes it's easier to ask for forgiveness than permission. Not here, not with Peter. Listen, if the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem find out Peter is where he is doing what he's doing, he is in big, big trouble, but he trusts God. Listen, when you trust God, not everyone around you is going to understand, but look what he gets to see. Watch what God does. Verse 34, 35, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism doesn't show it. But what does he do? He accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. In the next verses, Peter fulfills his calling. He preaches the gospel to Cornelius in his household. Look what happens. Man, this is beautiful. Verse 44, while Peter was still speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message The circumcised believers, meaning the Jews, who had come with Peter, were astonished. They couldn't believe it. They're gasping for air that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out on even the Gentiles, for they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Whoa, 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 whoa. God, what are you doing? You can't pour out your spirit on the Gentiles? 
They're your enemies. What kind of God pours his love out on his enemies? I'll tell you. This God. The God of the Bible. You want to know what God's love is like? I'll tell you. It's a love that knows no boundaries. It's a love that shows no favoritism. It's a love that accepts people from every nation. It's a love that tells his enemies, come home. And you want to know something? It was his plan from the very beginning. You go back and look at it, Genesis, and into, or throughout the Old Testament, and into the life of Jesus. God is orchestrating a plan that culminates in the life of Jesus to tell his enemies to come home, to tell his enemies that there's a seat for you at the table in the family of God, and guess who his enemies are? It's you. And it's me. You see, the most loving thing that I could ever tell you is that because of your sin, you are an enemy of God. Because of my sin, I am an enemy of God. But it's one of the most loving things that I could ever tell you. Listen, it doesn't matter how can consistent you are in going to church. It doesn't matter how consistent you are in reading your Bible. It doesn't matter how many serving teams you serve on. Your sin, my sin, makes me an enemy of God. And why is that the most loving thing that I could tell you? Because of what happens next. Paul, in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, he says this, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. This, my friends, is the good news that the apostles risked their lives to share as they went to the ends of the earth to tell you and to tell me until the the ends of the earth, Christ died so that you could live. (laughs) Have you ever witnessed an inaccurate expression of God's love? Have you ever experienced firsthand an inaccurate expression of God's love? Today, we don't have to wonder anymore what his love is like. Today, we know for sure. It's a love that has no boundaries. It's a love that shows no favoritism. It's a love that dies for his enemies. Question for us this morning. This truth right here. Is this theology proper or is this contextual theology? Did God wake up one morning and decide this or was it his plan all along? (laughs) Can I tell you from day one, from day one, and how do you know the difference? Again, with that scripture interpret scripture, what does scripture say? Genesis chapter 12, God comes to Abraham and says, I'll bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What does Jesus commission his disciples to do? In Matthew chapter 20, he says, Therefore, go and make disciples of where? Of all nations. What does Jesus tell his disciples again in Acts chapter 1? He says, go, be my witnesses. Where? In Jerusalem, in Judea, into the ends of the earth. Friends, from day one, this has been God's plan to tell his enemies, to tell the corners of the earth, come home. And hear me, it's been his plan from day one to tell you, 
come home. There's a seat at the table in the presence of God for you. This is God's love. It has no boundaries. It shows no favoritism. It's a love that dies for his enemies. Amen? Amen. So here's what I want to do as we wrap up. I just think it would be irresponsible of us to hear something like this, to receive something like this, and not share it. See, here's what I'm willing to bet. That in your circle and in my circle, there's someone who has been on the receiving end of an inaccurate expression of God's love. And now we know the truth. Now we know what God's love is like. And so I want to invite you and I want to invite me to be the hands and feet of Jesus and to share with whoever that might be what his love is like, what it feels like, what it sounds like. Is it someone in your workplace? Is it someone at the gym? Is it someone on your son's soccer team? Is it someone in your daughter's dance class? Whoever it is, my guess is that you've got that person in your mind right now. And your next thought is probably, there's no way I could share that with them. Man, I would be so nervous. Like, Kyle, how do you know that? Listen, the devil lies to me just like he lies to you. But God, God tells Peter to go. And listen, Peter, was he nervous when he gets to Cornelius in his house? Yeah, he was. Listen, Cornelius, he's a trained SWAT officer. Peter, he's a fisherman. If things get out of hand, Peter, the chances, the odds are not looking good for you, Peter. But God tells him to go, and the Holy Spirit says, I'll help you. So friends gathered here today, watching online, now that we have the truth of God's love, God tells us to go, and the Holy Spirit says, I'll help you. Will you stand with me as we get ready to close? Fulton Heights, I invite you to stand as well. God says, go. The Holy Spirit says, I'll help you. But you know, maybe for some of us in this room watching online, maybe, maybe today's not your day to go. Maybe today's your day to come home. Maybe, maybe you thought there were boundaries between you and God. Sin, rebellion, and those are boundaries, but can I tell you, God broke them down. Maybe you're like, Kyle, I don't come from the right family. Surely God wouldn't have favoritism on me. God's love is for all people. He shows no favoritism. He loves people from every language, tribe, and nation. And he tells his enemies, and he tells you and I today, come home. Would you come home? I've got a seat for you. I've got a banquet for you. Come live with me. Walk with me. I'm for you. And so if that's you today, or watching online or Fulton Heights, you say, I want to come home. I want to choose Jesus. I want to surrender my life to him. 
On the count of three, here, let's do this. Let's, everyone in the room, Fulton Heights, go ahead and bow your head, close your eyes. If that's you today, you're like, Kyle, I want to come home. I want to come home. Yeah, I'm an enemy, but I, today I realize, today I know, today I believe, today I put my trust in that God died for his enemies. If that's you today, you want to say, I'm coming home. On the count of three, would you just slip up your hand? Ready? One, two, three. Say, Kyle, I'm coming home. Kyle, I'm coming home. Amen. Amen. I see some hands here in the building at Kentwood. I want to acknowledge what God's doing at Fulton Heights. For those of you who raise your hand, here's what I want you to do. I want you to come find me. Uh, come find someone uh, who serves here at the church, Fulton Heights. Uh, Dylan is there, others. I want you to come talk with someone. And, and we want to we walk with you. We want to pray with you. Because God has already done the miracle. You're just stepping in. And we want to encourage you and celebrate with you. So Jesus... We thank you so much today for the truth of your word that you die for your enemies. God, and, and today we realize we are your enemies. God, because of our sin, because of our rebellion, we are your enemies. But praise be to God that he doesn't leave us in the state that we're in, but he dies for us. He reconciles us to the Father. He draws us into new life in Christ. And today we surrender to that. God, thank you that you are a God who knows no boundaries, shows no favoritism, who dies for his enemies. God, inspire us, empower us to go into our circles, to go to the ends of the earth, as you declared for your disciples to do, to share this good news. And Father, let us rest in this good news. Let us rest in here as well. And as we do that, Jesus, we'll forever give you all the honor, all the glory, and all the praise. And in Jesus' name, everybody said, Amen.